I would like to welcome you again to uh, our second uh, panel of the day, uh, a panel on a very critical topic for the industry on geopolitics, global economy and commerce, and are we heading into a new era? And I think the overall sentiment is that we are heading into a new era as vaccines are becoming more available, the world is coming out of the pandemic, the global economy is opening up. At the same time, coming out of the pandemic doesn't mean that we're not facing challenges. Uh, so this panel is going to tackle a lot of these issues. Uh, I'm grateful to John Keo uh, of Clyde, who is uh, participating and moderating expertly this event every year, this particular panel. Uh, I'd like to welcome Kathy, Sadan, Rene, Rolf and Mark, and thank you all. I, we were saying before that really technology gives us the opportunity to connect and address the global industry. So thank you very much for being with us. And John, I'm turning it over to you. Thank you, Nicholas. And, and thank you everyone for, for attending this session. Uh, good morning, my name is John Keogh. I'm a partner in Clyde & Co. Uh, law firm, and I'm based here in the New York office. I co-head the firm's North American practice on shipping and international trade and energy. Now, as Nicholas mentioned, our panel will address the, the geopolitical challenges and the opportunities that we see in shipping in the coming year and even beyond. Now, we're, we're privileged to have with us on the panel some of the prominent leaders in our business today. Uh, we have with us Sadan Captan, Captanaglu, the president of BIMCO and the CEO of Captanaglu Shipping. We have Kathy Metcalf, who is president and CEO of the Chamber of Shipping of America. We have Mark O'Neill, who is president of Columbia Ship Management and also president of Intermanager, an international trade association for ship and crew managers. Also joining us, we're delighted to have Rolf Haben Jensen, the CEO of Hapag Lloyd, and Rene Kofred Olson, the CEO of V Ships. Now, our panel will focus on essentially four key geopolitical challenges for shipping in the months ahead. First, the people problem the crisis in crew and staff management and shipping, the humanitarian crisis that the industry is facing in this pandemic world. Now there'll be a panel after hours that will address this topic as well, uh, but we will touch on this topic in, in the key respects that these business leaders see it affecting their business from a geopolitical stance. Second, the decarbonization issue. It's first and foremost in many minds in the business today, as people face a, a, a patchwork of regulation and, and soon to be regulation, which sometimes seems like a crazy quilt on an international or regional basis and, and how they meet that business challenge in planning. Third, ransomware and cybersecurity and piracy, issues that are troubling the industry today, traps that can stop a business in its footsteps uh, they are costly, they create huge human losses and business losses in the business. And last but not least, we'll try to touch on the effect of trade tariffs and sanctions. There's a new administration in town. The Biden administration has been in office now over a month and they've instituted some 
some bold new policies. How are those working out? How do our industry leaders see those playing out? And before we, we turn to the panel, I would like to just take a, a moment to emphasize the importance of this humanitarian crisis facing the crews and staffing around the world. Some people have been on ships stranded at sea for over two years. Um, it's a crisis that calls out for a global solution and indeed the, the IMO and the UN and other organizations, the Neptune Decla Declaration uh, has been put in place and, and many organizations are showing their support to try to cure this problem. And I would just take the chance to urge our business leaders listening today to use this as an opportunity to raise the bar, attack the problem yourselves. Let's take a challenge, each one of us, and attack the problem by trying to solve this with active energy generated and initiated by your businesses. If you saw these people at sea, would you sail by? Each business needs to initiate an active response now. And I'll just mention a quick quote from President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who spoke about positive leadership in his last written address in 1945. His words were these, the only limit to our realization of tomorrow will be our doubts of today. Let us move forward with a strong and active faith. With that, I'd like to turn to our panel. Let me ask Sadan, first of all, Sadan, as president of BIMCO, what are you seeing as the, the key geopolitical challenges facing shipping today and what are the opportunities that can come of it? Well, hello everybody. And thank you, John. Uh, uh, this, this is like a $1 million question. <laughs> it, uh, but I have to say, we are still going through unprecedented times. And uh, although now we have the vaccination and then the economies are you know, opening slowly, slowly, uh, but still, you know, we have a lot of way to go. And the precautions that the governments are taking is almost same at the war times. So I think this is the pandemic itself is the greatest challenge we have been facing for a long time. And also the pandemic as act as an accelerator as well. So you see that they speed up things. And uh, so if you look at it from this perspective, everything become geopolitical, you know. But, you know, in order to highlight some of them is, you know, I think in the months ahead, we have to tackle how we can make our industry resilient. I think shipping performed perfectly during the pandemic. You know, well done to all of us, but at a cost. And the cost, as you mentioned earlier, very rightfully, is our the, you know, well-being of our seafarers. This is not acceptable. So we have to be sure that all industries working together to make our, you know, supply chain and shipping resilience so that we will not go through something like this again. And of course, you know, cybersecurity will be an issue because of the acceleration of digitalization. Piracy is a big issue, you know, especially Nigerian piracy, I have to name it. And of course, the economics are, you know, worsened and we have the sanctions and increased competition between USA, Russia, China. So nothing is actually 
in that sense, good for the world. You know, sometimes uh, some fractions of you know problems can support shipping for the short term, but on the long run, on the long term, only well-being of the world will sustain shipping. So, if you want a sustainable shipping, and having said that, you know. The biggest challenge to me is still the decarbonization because that will change the, the whole structure and the whole technology of, you know, of shipping. So it is, it is, a, it is the biggest challenge to me. And, uh, and of course, you know, again, pandemic is accelerating that the response we want to give to the climate change. And of course, 60,000 vessels you know, worldwide will not disappear and become decarbonized overnight. Uh, so this is a process. And right now, last November, we have the now uh, in the IMO, you know, we have the short-term measures and in BIMCO, we are tackling them. What we want is a global and practical measures for the short-term period. And uh, at the same time, we also think that you know, if we look at the time frame of the, you know, our you know, target to, to, towards the decarbonization, uh, we have to be proactive. So I, we also, you know, uh, working on the research and development fund at the same time, so that, you know, we can gather all the innovation together. We can give solutions, more than one solution to shipping industry. But at the same time, we think it is time to discuss about market-based measure, uh, a global market-based measures. So, and I think that in that way, we can keep the level playing field. And also this can create a competitive edge for the, you know, uh, early covers. So we will not at least not punish them. So uh, right now I would say uh, we have to, you know, start the discussion at the IMO, a global, I have to underline this, global, you know, market-based measure discussions in order to be ready when the technology is commercially there so we can transform our industry. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Mark O'Neill, tell us from Columbia Ship Management's perspective, I know you have some strong feelings about what action should be taken during this pandemic, especially with the crewing crisis and and on decarbonization, what are your thoughts on, on these challenges facing us? Hi, John, and thanks very much for, for having me. Uh, I would echo a lot of uh, what Shadan has said there. I think what we're seeing at the moment, and we're still, of course, perhaps not in the middle of the pandemic, but but certainly uh, on the in the second half of the pandemic, we're seeing a real uh, a world of dichotomies. We have the the haves and the have-nots, the rich uh, versus the poor, east versus west, vaccinated versus non-vaccinated, and that's the, the the challenge ahead of us. USA versus China. So I think we are. Uh, coming out of this pandemic into a an extremely febrile uh, environment, and and that's going to pose its challenges for shipping, as it will for every other uh, industrial sector. I think what we've noticed, and I think a, a lot of the the other panelists will share this, is the the lesson that we've learned from this pandemic more than any other is uh, that people actually matter, 
and it's this human element element Sharan talked about accelerators it's this human element that we that was murmured perhaps in the backdrop uh, or against the backdrop of technology and digitalization before the pandemic this human element has come to the uh, the real fore there is a huge expectation uh, a huge ambition a, a huge reassessment in ourselves and our people as to uh, what's important going forward and i think the challenge for the shipping industry uh, the ship management industry will to be ensure to ensure that we're in step with those uh, expectations uh, for instance we're seeing you know, in, in the, the geo, geopolitical uh, reorganization that's going on at the moment, uh, East versus West, the repositioning of industry, uh, the, the, the recalling of many of the heavy industry from, from the East back to the West, because we need to be, we need to have that industry more strategically placed. What is the expectation uh, of our people? B-Ships talked about recently in the press, the, the, the weaponizing, uh, I think it was Renan's, apologies if, if, if I'm misquoting you, but the weapon weaponizing of data as being uh, the real key differentiator of the future. I would respectfully disagree. I, I, I don't think there is the appetite or the expectation uh, uh, that existed before this pandemic in this whole technological digitalization process. I think we are now going to be going into a phase of empowering people to use data along with other facilitators to better enhance people performance. And shipping is about people. Data, digitalization, technology are the tails on the dog and the tails mustn't wag the dog. These are only tools to uh, enhance uh, people's performance. So really, really, I, I think people have people put to the, for, the, the, the very forefront of our businesses and it's really really important that we recognize that and are in tune and are in step with what people want going forward. Do they want environmental change? Do they want social changes? Do they want globalization or nationalization? Do they want uh, self-sufficiency? Do they want green recycling and, and these decarbonization issues? Are those the drivers uh, of people as we come out of uh, this pandemic? Time will tell, um, but I think it's really, really important for all of our organizations to double down and focus on our people and, and what our people want and be and for shipping to be in step with that. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Rene, would you like to respond to the, that point and, and your view on, the, on both decarbonization and digitalization and, and these other issues we're wrestling with? Absolutely. I would, love, I would love to. And thank you, uh, Mark, for the, for the challenge. Sorry? There's a lot to unpack there. No, I, and, and we, shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't repeat what, what others have said of, uh, of valuable insights. And I'll start a different place. And I will come back to your point, Mark, because I actually don't think we disagree. Um, I think people is really uh, the challenge of the future. Uh, when, I, when I think about growing up in shipping, uh, starting some 30, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, um, then, then, of course, this was the place to go. And, and uh, especially in a little country like Denmark, surrounded by water. Um, but today, uh, I would like actually to, to hear the young people what makes them go to sea? And I think that is, a, that is a discussion that we do not really entertain enough of. 
And that comes back to the branding of shipping generally. And we spoke about that the other day, uh, that the brand of shipping needs to take the forefront uh, of conversations much, much more than it's doing today. Uh, we are hiding away from the fact that we are the bedrock of global trade. 71% uh, of this fantastic planet is water and we carry uh, goods, liquid, dry uh, around the world. Uh, and we do it, by the way, much better and much more uh, um, sort of carbon uh, neutral than, than, than anybody else does uh, right now. And we are expected to invest and continue investing in, in doing it much, much better. So I think we have a huge responsibility as leaders of this industry to brand it better. And here comes the, the, the catch in terms of attracting craftsmanship. People expect to have access to their everyday life uh, that, that we didn't need 30 years ago when we started in this industry. And therefore there is a big responsibility for us to digitize our businesses to ensure that the crew, when they are at the high seas, have a possibility to actually feel connected with the world. If we are disconnected from that fact, I do not believe that, that we will be living up to the expectations of the new generations of seafarers uh, and actually the new generation of onshore shipping people that wants to go into this industry. So I think the craftsmanship is something we really need to drive. So, of course, um, the decarbonizing argument is then coming in in the tail of that. Because why? Because otherwise the young people simply do not want to come and have a career. Uh, in shipping. I, I recently uh, left an offshore company in oil and gas, uh, and we were all shying away from having the conversation around how energy actually light up this conversation, light up our houses. So there is a transition period where we need energy. We should speak positively around the right energy, perhaps not coal, uh, which is a third of, of the energy we burn uh, around the world today, but certainly we need energy there for the foreseeable future. And therefore, we cannot put them in the doghouse. Uh, it's a very, very fundamental part of global trade. And so when I speak about weaponizing data and weaponizing our digital strategies, it's actually that. It is to ensure that we attract people. It's to ensure that we become predictive, that we assist the decarbonizing agenda, that we become much more future-proof as businesses. And we simply need that. We need to harness uh, all the weather data we can get. We need to harness the fuel efficiency data we can get. We need to ensure that there is links to the vessels when they are in the high seas, uh, where, where we can actually communicate with, with shore. Those things I feel is very, very important. And then take energy uh, uh, out of the doghouse and bring it on the forefront because we need it for the foreseeable future, but we need a transition plan. That's very, very important. All of us wants to decarbonize. All of us wants to rewild the world. Um, but it but it takes the right strategies. How is the use of data uh, impacting your your efforts to uh, allocate and commit capital in, in achieving your decarbonization goals? So is that a factor? I think that's a big factor, and I'll tell you why. When when I have discussed with with, with clients and many of them recently, I've traveled the world on on Zoom or Teams. Um, it's, a, it's a big, big part of the conversation because everybody is expected to deliver all the right ESG strategies. Uh, everybody is expected, therefore, to know about how their vessels are performing almost in real time. And the more we can deliver, both Mark and, and myself, to our clients in terms of that uh, breadth in our, in our uh, performances, I actually believe that we can better uh, deliver value for, uh, for our clients simply by, by being that 
little bit more predictive. So we are investing heavily in, uh, in IT. Thanks, Rolf. At, at Hapag, how do you see the challenges as a container line operator? How do you see this, this new geopolitical world shaping up to meet the challenges that these, these folks have been describing? Uh, a lot has already been said. I think also for us, the decarbonization is probably the biggest challenge if you look a little bit further out. And um, I think it's important there that you don't only talk about where you want to be in 20 or 30 years from today. And because, you know, as I've said multiple times, it's quite easy for us to say that we want to be carbon neutral by 2050. Yeah, uh, Because that's all ships that still need to be built today. And most likely that's going to be based on a technology that we don't fully have available today. And it's going to be run by management that's no longer going to be around. Yeah, uh, Or that's, going, that's all going to be new. So I don't want to promise that on their behalf. And I think we try to, to improve also year on year on year. And and as such are right now probably more focused on, on meeting the goals by 2030. And that means that, you know, we need to modernize our fleet. That means we need to invest in newer ships. And in our case, we, we opted for LNG for the time being, which I still think it's a little bit surprising that we don't see more uptake on that because it is probably one of the few bridging technologies that's already available today. And, and you then would also have engines that potentially can run also on carbon neutral fuels. Yeah, Once you have synthetic gas, for example, um, but okay, you know, that's the way to, to approach it. That is probably the biggest challenge. Of course, we have also some shorter term challenges, which are very much driven by the pandemic. I mean, the crew changes were already mentioned. I would say we are there probably relatively speaking still in a lucky position because we have a lot of liner services that call big ports. And, and even if every crew change is a, is a project by itself, uh, in most cases, we, we find a way to get it done. Yeah? Even if people sometimes have to stay a little bit longer on board. Um, I think it's been very tough in the beginning, then became easier through the summer. Now it's again a bit tougher, but we also gained more experience. So for us, I would say right now, that's a, that's a manageable problem. And as far as um, other geopolitical measures are concerned, I mean, of course, you know, trade wars are never good. Yeah. On the other hand, we've also seen that in, in many cases that leads to diversion of flows and not so much to the disappearance of flows. Because yes, sometimes we talk about reshoring and sometimes we talk about splitting, going from single to multiple sourcing, but that doesn't tend to result in a lot less international transportation. And I still believe that, that also, if you look at the next 10 years, there's probably still gonna be some growth. It's probably not gonna be as much as it was 10 or 15 years ago. But to be honest, that's also totally fine. Are you seeing changes in the supply chain during this pandemic? And do you expect any, any impact to ripple through after the pandemic? Probably more after than during. I mean, today, I, I guess most of the logistics and supply chain managers are focused on making sure that they get their goods to destination. And they're probably not looking at a lot of disruptive changes to their supply chains. And you know, as I said in a pre-discussion, I mean, or if you want to take a decision today to move your factories from China to India, you, know, you, you probably still want to go to India once yeah, to see if the factory, the new factory is really there and if it meets your requirements. Um, so I think you're going to see very few of those decisive decisions being taken over the next three to six months. But for sure, when you fast forward two, three, four, five years, there will be an ongoing shift from between countries. But in fairness, we've already seen quite a lot of that over the last 10 years, as we have seen places like Indonesia and Vietnam, for example, grow a lot faster than, uh, uh, than for instance, in uh, China. And also nearshoring is something that is not new. 
What are you seeing with the the ability to deliver vaccines for the crews on on your vessels? Uh, has there been is there progress that you can update us on in trying to solve that problem? No, I mean, it's being worked on quite hard. I mean, you mentioned the Neptune Declaration and there's all kinds of discussions around how you know, how critical seafarers, of course, are. I think uh, all of us have seen that, as Sadan also mentioned in the, in the beginning. Yeah, They are a little bit the unsung heroes yeah? uh, among the unsung heroes of this pandemic. Um, but so far, it's, you know, there's not a lot of... Um, consistencies, so to say, in the policies in various places. I believe one of the things we've also learned here is that policies and rules are different everywhere. Uh, and, and that is a, a big thing that we need to fight. And if we would look at decarbonization, for example, I would strongly hope that we indeed come up with some kind of global rule because to have different rules everywhere is simply quite unworkable. And, and in the end also, you know, will not be very efficient if we want to make progress towards the goals that we are all aiming for. Right. right, that's a good point. Kathy, from your position at the Chamber of Shipping of America, could you fill us in on, on what you're seeing in terms of uh, solutions for the crewing crisis, the, the efforts with decarbonization and some of these other problems and, and weigh in if you would on the, how the Biden, the new Biden administration policies may be affecting any of this. Yeah, well, certainly. And thanks, John. And thanks to all who are attending the session. Uh, there's a great, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> a great benefit in being on a panel with such stellar colleagues, uh, because uh, all the smart comments that have already been made, uh, I don't have to repeat. And, and uh, uh, I'm honored to, to be among this group of, of leaders in the industry. Uh, what I would say from my personal perspective and the chamber's perspective, having sailed for six years as a deck officer, everything we do, we need to think about the impact on our mariners. Whether we're at IMO talking about decarbonization, uh, whether we're talking about vaccinations or whatever, every decision we make impacts our mariners. And to some degree, um, we're kind of overloading our mariners with a lot more issues than what they've ever had to deal with. People do make a difference. And I just want to echo what, what uh, the previous commenters have said. It is about people. Um, it's not about steel ships. It's not about containers. It's not about fuel. It's about the people that move it. And, and so keeping that as, as a preeminent um, uh, consideration as we move forward in, in this business, this great business, I might add, is, is most important. I think what the pandemic has done has forced us to change the way we work and to change the way we think. And if there's any positive aspect of having gone going through the pandemic, it is forcing some of us old dogs, and I'm talking about those of us that have been in the industry for 30 or 40 years, to think a little more um, outside the box, if you will. I had the honor yesterday of participating in a panel hosted by the uh, Australian Maritime uh, folks. Uh, and, and they have something called a leadership forum. And they bring up and coming uh, folks that are in, in middle management in a variety of maritime related fields. And 
they were very gracious about thanking me for coming. But I really felt the need to thank them for making me think a little younger. And, and so I think uh, with the pandemic and, and, and noting that uh, I have less time left in this industry uh, than I've already spent in it, that that gift of more thoughtful processes and how we view the future, uh, whether we're retired or not, is, is most important. Um, I'm not going to repeat what's already been said. Clearly, decarbonization is a paradigm shift for the industry. Um, I, I've, I've been, you know, at IMO since the, uh, the late 1990s. Uh, I've seen ballast water conventions. I've seen, you know, a number of Annex 6 air emissions conventions um, and annexes. And we are now engaged in probably the most important discussion that I have ever been honored to experience. So uh, the decarbonization issue, as, as I believe Rolf and, um, and, and, and Renee has mentioned, it is a process. It's not something that we can flip a switch and suddenly we're decarbonized. It is ships, it is engines, it is mariners and training, it is fuel development, it is manufacturers development. And probably most importantly, it's an infrastructure issue as well. We can have the greenest ship in the world and the greenest fuel ashore. And if we don't have some way to connect the two, we've, we've lost it. So that is certainly an overarching need. Um, let me get to something that, that perhaps is more unique to, to the chamber. And that's President Joe Biden and, and how he will be expected to impact or to change the landscape for the maritime industry uh, on an international basis. As most of you know, he is committed to rejoin the, the Paris Agreement. You're gonna see the United States a lot more active uh, in discussions both within the Paris Agreement format, but also within the IMO, which in the prior four years has been sort of dormant. Um, but I think what you're also going to see with President Biden is less isolationism, which is the prior four years, and more outreach towards multilateral and bilateral discussions on trade, um, a real hard look at the sanctions that are currently in place right now, which these are economic sanctions, as, as, as all are aware, but for political reasons. And so I think the Biden administration will look at <clears throat> negotiations to remedy the political reasons so that some of the sanctions can be backed off on. And so there'd be less economic impact with successful political level, the diplomatic level discussions um, with, with, with some of the countries that are involved right now. I think what you're also gonna see is uh, per President Biden's statement early in his, uh, his administration, he is supportive of the robust enforcement of international obligations. And the, the, the message hidden there is, I think we're going to see an administration that supports global versus regional. And I hesitate to mention the EU and the, the currently proposed emissions trading system, 
But I think you're going to see this administration support global regimes to address not only safety, but environmental issues. And that is a, that is a positive. Uh, so that's, I've gone on way too long, but I, that's kind of a, a quick glimpse on the Biden administration and where I think uh, we see some very positive aspects uh, for the next four years of that administration. Thanks, John. Thank you. No, thank you for that insight on, on, on your views of what's, what's changing, especially in respect to the administ new administration's policies going forward. Uh, do any of our panelists, anybody want to comment on the, on the changes they're seeing or expecting to see with China trade tariffs and the retaliatory mode of things there and how that's impacting your businesses? Sit on, sure. I think I can make a general comment as a BIMCO president because you know restrictions, sanctions, you know tariffs is not good for our business. You know, um, if possible, the political thing should be deal in the political area, so that the because you know trade is not necessarily all about money, but it's also prosperity. You know and. The globalization should result as you know prosperity, not as a you know uh, big political fight between you know elephants, and then we poor people will be you know harmed under you know the, with the grasses. So I think in principle, and I I believe that with the Biden administration, we will see much more. I would say cooperative and diplomatic efforts, you know, and so to make the things global and prosperous. Thank you. Yeah, do, you do you see an effect, uh, Rolf, do you see a, an effect with congestion in, in off China, for example, as a result of the trade tariff battles and, and is that impacting your business? No, not really. I mean, I think we, we saw a bit of a shift between China and some of the Southeast uh, Asian countries in, in the earlier years of the Trump administration. But if we look back at last year, then we see again quite a big surge in volume from Asia to North America. Well, if, if we talk about the, the American politics, then, then I think one of the things that, that at some stage they will have to look at is port infrastructure. Yeah? I think one of my colleagues actually said it quite nicely at the, uh, at the TPM yesterday. Um, in Asia, they work seven times 24 to produce the goods. They work seven times 24 to load the goods. And then we unload them yeah, on a 17 times five basis uh, every week. And then of course, you end up at some stage with congestion and especially in a time like today, where you also have all kinds of COVID related restrictions and labor shortages and things like that. And, and to me, when you look at international trade, then then port infrastructure, the, sometimes the, the lack of investment in there and also low productivity in, in some places is, is something that you know, we, we have to ask ourselves the question, how can we fix that? Or how can we make that better? And there's various ways to do that. I mean, you can do that in all kinds of ways, but I, I do think that we have a, a structural capacity concern as a constraint there yeah, that at some stage needs to be addressed. And I know it's a very difficult topic to, to talk about. It's also politically quite, quite sensitive and Next year, I believe we have also some of the labor contracts expiring, but I do think that, that those are the type of things that 
at some stage need to be attacked and, and resolved if we want to make sure, sure that goods keep flowing you know, smoothly yeah, year in, year out. And you know, I think that has actually more impact probably than the, you know, the, the various discussions that there are on trade relations where you know, I think there's some, some very valid points that are being brought to the table. Thank you. Thanks. Mark O'Neill on, on cybersecurity. Well, let me ask you, Mark, I know your, your organization has taken some bold steps to try to deliver vaccines to uh, your staff and crew members uh, around the world. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you see as an important development? What is the cutting edge there that you're leading? I, I think, um, and this is something I'd like uh, Kathy to take up um, with the, the US authorities and, and maybe um, new President Biden can, can take a lead here because I think uh, humanity is about to make one of perhaps the greatest miscalculations of all time in relation to the rollout of the vaccines. I talked about the dichotomies that uh, are arising during and coming out of this um, pandemic, the haves and the have-nots, the riches versus the poor, the vaccinated uh, versus the non-vaccinated. It's an unfortunate uh, truism that the majority of our seafarers, all of us here, come from some of the poorest countries in the world that unfortunately, again, fall into the have-nots and the not-vaccinated category and will be the last countries to vaccinate their populations. Unless the world and the leading countries in the world take a more um, uh, global view and a more humanitarian view of uh, vaccination, then I think we're going to uh, get into a situation where the wheels literally come off and the propellers stop turning because vessels will not have vaccinated crews on board because the countries from which those seafarers come are last in the vaccination chain and we're going to have more and more owners and, and operators who insist on fully vaccinated crews and they simply they they will not be available so the very way out of this pandemic the very way back to prosperity will be denied to all of these countries as wearing my intermanager hat we have uh, we've spoken or we've written to the uk government what better way for global britain to show its credentials by um, providing uh, vaccines which it appears to have enough of to the 1.7 million seafarers of the world there's not that many uh, that's not that many seafarers but we've had precious uh, little constructive response to date I know uh, Kathy we've talked about this before as well and there's various other industry groups whether it's the Neptune declaration uh, or, or others making the same point but unless we all speak with one voice and one compelling voice and unless governments adopt this global view and realize that without shipping 95% of the world's goods won't get to their destinations then I'm afraid the propellers will stop turning simply on that vaccination point and you will be left with a very febrile uh, environment where you know accentuating this haves have nots which it can't be in anyone's best interest. Coming back, sorry, I haven't answered your question. I got that off my chest. Uh, coming back to your question, we, what, what have we done? We've actually gone out and ordered 7,000 uh, uh, vaccines, and uh, we hope very much to get them for the benefit of some of our crew that won't uh, or, or will perhaps be in the 
uh, at the tail end of the, the, the vaccination chain because uh, unfortunately, and it is unfortunate, we're seeing national governments not take the responsibility uh, and provide a solution to uh, international crewing. So uh, I think commercial organizations such as ourselves, putting people, and it comes back to my initial points at the center of what we do, we have to because they will look to us, our seafarers, having gone through this whole pandemic, having st stood shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand with us, and endured sometimes, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months on board the vessels, goodness, they at the very least deserve a vaccination from us, whether it costs two bucks, 35 bucks or whatever it costs. I sometimes think actually Amazon's best investment they could ever make would be to buy the world seafarers a vaccination and keep the Amazon goods flow moving. But there you go. It may be that it comes to that. Who knows? Rene, your your views on the, the cybersecurity and ransomware risks facing businesses today. We know that shipping has been hit hard by cyber hacks, uh, Maersk, MSC, Anglo Eastern, CMA, to name just a few whose businesses have been uh, you know, walloped by this. What are your thoughts on that as a, as a challenge and, and, a, uh, and a geopolitical challenge facing the business? Yeah, thank you, John. I'll, I'll reply to that, but I, I just wanna make a comment so we can Get the debate here uh, on the on the vaccinations. I, I so I agree with a lot of what has been said, but you have the situation of the haves and haves nots. And and I think if if we start as private companies to uh, to go in in the lines of the governments and buy vaccines, I think that's a very very slippery slope. I think we we need to uh, stay true to the declarations that we have done, work together with the organisation, try and push the NGOs. If if certainly. Uh, Bezos has one of those, uh, Mark, but, but that we private companies start to, uh, to get into the logistics chain of vaccines, no matter how much compassion we have, I think that's a, that's a challenge. Uh, so so I, we really, really need to stand together uh, and, and, and make uh, decisions as an industry uh, and push governments to make seafarers critical uh, um, sort of employees for the entire world. That we should do, uh, but I'm very concerned. Uh, that, that we as private individual companies start to go into the logistics change of, of vaccines. That, that's a big dilemma. And how, uh, for can the increase, right how can now. you increase that pressure on the, on the NGOs? Yeah, I think it's, it's great what Mark has done with, with the UK government, and I think that's the right way to do it. And I think we should all uh, ask uh, ask the, the, uh, the organizations of the world, really, including WHO, to, to, uh, to put our CFAS as critical CFAS, put them first in line in the logistics. Because starting now to have a quest for vaccines as a private company, that is what all governments are telling us not to do. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's really a, a dichotomy. To, to, uh, to, and we are all in a conundrum to use these words. Uh, but I really think we need to stand together uh, on, on this one. Now, coming to cyber security, um, I think that that will only increase. Uh, and, and, and if I talk about weaponizing digitalization, then you imagine that, that all floating assets uh, of, of the industry uh, will potentially be, uh, be targets and, and the organizations uh, ditto. And so this is something that we just have to live with. And, and I think the sooner all our organizations realize that it is not a matter of if we will be penetrated. It's not a matter of if we'll have intruders coming in. It's just a matter of how we deal with it when they are in and how quickly we can get them out again. 
I think is naive uh, for, for a business today to believe that they have uh, sort of shields uh, from, from hackers, from ransomware, from phishing and so on. We do not. Uh, um, if, you, if you look at it as a gate, they will pass the gate. But the question is, how far will they go in before we can stop them? How many, how many uh, corridors can we actually make to ensure that they don't get to where it becomes dangerous? Uh, they don't get to the so-called control room. Uh, but, but, but it starts by accepting that they will enter uh, and then having plans to how to deal with it. Um, so Don, I see the IMO has uh, acted on this and, and what is BIMCO's view on, on this issue? Uh, this issue, you mean the cybersecurity or vaccination or shall I just say both? Either, either or both, you can comment on both. Uh, I think for the vaccination, uh, we have to, you know, stand together and work harder. And uh, I think at this point, any idea is out of box is welcomed because eventually, you know, we will end up trying to do something maybe on our own. I don't know, as, as private companies even. Uh, you know, when IMO suggested that the you know, uh, mariners should be uh, key workers. Last time I checked, it was only 52 countries recognized that. There is 174 country in IMO as a member state. So we should not, you know, stop pressurizing the governments. And, uh, and this is what I meant by saying that we have to work on how we can make our great industry resilient. So this is, this is our target that we have to work together. And uh, for example, in Turkey now, it is, you know, the, the burners, seafarers are key workers. And they're in the list as the transport workers will be vaccinated in the, in the top 10 list, as I think they are number five. So it's just then the matter of time when the vaccination will come and how we are going to make this vaccine to reach the vessels, you know, because I think the governments tend to think very domestically. They think that vessels are like factories. They are in the next neighborhood, so they can drive. So uh, what I learned as, as BIMCO in this uh, pandemic that, you know, although we are very well surrendered in our own environment, IMO, Ministry of Transportation, Fisheries, but outside that, we have a lot of things to do because, you know, nobody really gets us. So that is also one of the tasks in front of us. When it comes to cybersecurity, yes, I am ahead to, you know, uh, uh, act upon this. And this will be one of the greatest challenge. And as BIMCO, you know, cybersecurity is one of our, you know, uh, the, the core things that we tackle and we will continue to, you know, create clauses, you know, write manuals and talk to and advise our ship owners, you know, how we can, you know, minimize the risk because as Rune said very rightfully, there will be always risk. So we always have to be alert. Thank you. I, I don't know, if, are there any questions uh, that we have from the audience? I'm not seeing any uh, so far. We just have a couple of minutes left, but, um, Absent some questions, why don't we do a quick lightning round? Last words from each of our other panelists now. Uh, quick, less than a minute, last view on what the biggest challenge is that you can tackle 
for this business. Ralph. Oh, I mean, a lot of things have already been said. I, I still think the biggest challenge is the decarbonization. Yeah. That's going to take a lot of our mental time and it's also going to take a lot of capital to get that done. And I think it's important that we set ourselves some clear objectives by 30, 40 and 50 so that in the end we indeed get to zero uh, by 2050. Thank you. Kathy. Thanks, John. Uh, he, he just said what I was going to say, so I can be very quick. Decarbonization and continued emphasis on our people, both shoreside and on board the ships. They're the ones that make this work. And uh, we have to give them the tools to make it happen. Thank you, Mark. Again, um, putting people at the very core of our businesses and uh, yes, stand shoulder to shoulder in pushing for a, a global solution to the vaccination, but uh, uh, the reality, I think, is that it will come down to the commercial, uh, a commercial approach to find vaccines for our seafarers, and we need to be ready, and we need to have a fallback plan because these these seafarers deserve that support from us. Thank you, Rene. Yeah, I echo uh, everything that has been said. Our seafarers getting the vaccinations, uh, getting the right decarbonisation strategies, uh, and and perhaps uh, fundamentally ensuring that shipping is uh, very much on the agenda of the global economy. And I think that's one of the reasons we have this issue with the seafarers on making them critical employees or accepting that people have to pay and supply capital for decarbonization of the future. We need to be better at ensuring people understand shipping. Okay, uh, we have less than a minute. Uh, one last question. Uh, for Rennie, what will be decisive in terms of something approaching a normalization now that there is an overheated container market? Anybody want to tackle that question? I think I may have even butchered the question. I apologize for that, but we're out of time. And I would urge any questions can still be raised with our panelists. Uh, uh, outside of the panel in the chat room, so I encourage you to do that. Uh, John, maybe since you brought the question to Rolf, we can have him answer and then we wrap up. So we don't. Okay, well, I guess, you know, the overheated container market, that's also the $1 million question, as Sadan said earlier in the, um, at the beginning of this session. I mean, I've said yesterday also at TPM that I think it's going to take us at least until the end of Q2 before we will have, uh, you know, somewhat more normal markets and then hopefully we'll have a, a more normal Q3 and Q4 because I believe it's in everybody's interest that the market does calm down, yeah. that things start running again smoother and that also, you know, especially the spot rates come down to a level that's more normal than what we see today. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Thank you to our panelists for covering, covering that, that wide array of topics uh, so well. We appreciate your your comments and audience, thank you very much for, for watching. And to Capital Link, thank you for supporting this program every year the way you do. We appreciate John, it. you're a great moderator. Can't thank you enough. And of course, I can't thank enough for our panelists for your wisdom, insight. And thank you to everybody for attending it. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Nicholas. Bye -bye.